welcome back to Arts About. Show about art that is in fact a work of art in itself. Good morning, Sally. Good but morning, John, and good morning, Swanee on the knobs. Yes, I'm wrestling my beanie this morning. <laughs> it's falling over your eyes, Yes, yeah, so much for winter. Yes, you're listening to Arts Bout and you are here in the Bendigo Bank studio with Artists in Residence and Cultural Sounding Board, John Baird, me, Sally Bailey, and Swanee this morning. And no Mark Stewart. No Mark Stewart, no, he's still able. Well, I did have an interesting missive from Mark via, a missive. via Alan Pittman, mm-hmm. uh, who told me that Mark says the uh, Familia Sagrada in Barcelona yes. has been awarded a building permit. Finally, well, that's Which good was, after uh, 120 years later. Applied for 186 years ago. How many years ago? 186 years ago. Good grief. Oh, that, that's faster than the Mornington Peninsula <laughs> Shire <laughs> approval. They're on a path. I'm going to have to adjust my beanie. I can't hear yes, anything. And you look ridiculous too, by the way. Yeah. I'm not sure if I mentioned that Arts About is brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. Good on them. Yes, who we're very, very, very grateful for. Yes. Now, on the show today, oh, first of all, what yes. are you going to be on about, John? Uh, Kelly story today. Oh. The fight. Oh. Oh. Not uncommon, but we don't want Kelly harmed in any way. No, we don't. Do we have any idea of what Kelly looks like, by the way? Yeah, she's a little wire-haired terrier. Is she? Yeah. A fox terrier. Fox wire-haired terrier. fox terrier. So okay. like a Jack Russell with longer legs. Okay, so we're going to hear a story about Kelly, are we? Does it have anything to do with art? Oh, look at that look. Pregnant paw. <laughs> Now, what else have we got on the show today, On Sally? the show today, we're going to be talking with Danny Lacey, the, Danny Lacey, the Senior Curator for the MPRG, about yes. the exhibition that's on there at the moment, Craftism, Dissident Objects and Submersive Forms. Now, I think Mark went and said, saw it. Have you seen it, John? Yep. Okay, great. He's going to be talking to us about that. It's running there at the MPRG until the July the 21st. Also, we're going to have David Wright coming in to join us. Mm-hmm. Uh, David is most commonly or most widely known as a glass artist and he's going to be talking about his exhibition of prints and paintings nothing to do with glass at every Wen gallery uh, that's running there until July the 2nd try and say glass artist glass artist glass three artists. times quickly no. okay no. but next in the studio we're going to have Jai Thulin we've talked about him a few times over the last few weeks he's a poet publisher and performer and he's with us here in the studio today to perform a few of his poems and tell us about his recently published anthology from the pens of poets corner that's also a little bit of an alliteration and some of his other pursuits as well but before he does mm-hmm. here is um it's dr john who was the flamboyant new orleans singer pianist whose hoodoo drenched music made him a pin-up figure for the new orleans jazz and blues and r&b scene he died this week and our small tribute to him is to play a few songs that were part of his very big and influential life here's right place wrong time valet dr john Jai Thulin, the biggest children's author in Victoria, maybe the world, by his own words, is here in the studio with us this morning and at 202 centimetres tall, 175 kilograms, it's got to be close, but from your very own pen, Jai Thulin, welcome to Arts About. G'day, how are we? Very well, thank you. Jai, you're a constant performer at the Poets' Corner in Macrae and we've heard a lot from them over the last couple of years but I've also heard you described as a bush poet. You write children's books, you publish them too, and you're a homegrown talent growing up here on the Mornington Peninsula. How have you become this local literary giant? Uh, Who knows? Just (laughs) just writing out some stuff, and it seems to have uh, taken 
taking me on an adventure. So well, well, invariably, luck has nothing to do with it. It's hard work, isn't it? Yeah, Johnny. Uh, well, especially this year, I've sillily challenged myself to a poem a day for the year. I'm up to a day 162, <coughs> so that's always easy. Yes. Well, I've been keeping track of some of them, actually. I, I really enjoy your work, and I really enjoy your performances, too, at, uh, at the Poets' Corner. Excellent. Now, you were telling me off air just a little bit uh, earlier that there's a whole scene going on, and there's a growing scene of poetry that's happening down on the Mornington Peninsula. Yeah. Um, and you're going to another th event, I think, that might be during the week on Wednesday, because, of course, uh, yeah, uh, at the Pig and Whistle. I am. Yeah, so they do a fortnightly thing. Uh, I'd like to tell you which Wednesday it is, but I'm not 100% certain. Yep. I'll make that up as we go. Yep. Um, but it is a fortnightly thing that Pig and Whistle just started up, so that's uh, another one to go to. So how, how did this sort of ignite for you? Because I don't think it's an easy thing. In fact, I, I did an opening last oh, a couple of weeks ago for the poets, for the anthology down at, at, at McRae. And one of the things that I, I mentioned was this idea that really it's such a difficult thing. You're armed with only your own words with a microphone in front of you, uh, faced by your peers, strangers and possibly neighbours, uh, giving out your innermost thoughts, really. It's, it's a big act of bravery, isn't it? Well, to expose yourself like that. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but at the very start, I was terrified of microphones. So yeah, it was a bit terrifying. Mm. Uh, but we got we got over that. Practice You're still a little it. wary of them, I see. You're sort oh, of they're they're picking, picking a little bit of dirt off that way. Wiggly bit on it. I don't know. Oh, did it? <laughs> it was distracting. I was going to say Jai's microphone manner is perfect. Yeah, he's sticking on that mic. He's doing a great well, job. I've, I've had practice now, but at the start, it was horrible. So tell me, did you write poetry as a kid? Yeah, I've yeah. always written stuff, uh, just not on purpose as much as now. Right, so now it's be, you've obviously become slightly more disciplined. Well, certainly if you're doing a poem a day. Yeah, and I, and I write it on the day of release, so I don't have 20 in the bank ready to go. I, yeah. I write it on the day. I was so. going to ask about that, actually, what the process is, whether or not you'd have them stored up and ready to go. No, uh, that's cheating, I, I think. A lot of people you, would do you that. Allow, do you allow yourself to start thinking about it the night before? when you're uh, I don't know if you know this about arty people. They don't sleep. So luckily enough, I can just have an idea at three in the morning and write something <laughs> out. So, right. But uh, you have to wait till after midnight? Yeah. 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 Oh, do that's you? That's my rule. Well, today's will be a no-brainer. It'll be, be, be about that. It us. might be about that uh, stupid beanie of yours that's sticking up. Is it? <laughs> I'm having a lot of trouble, but I refuse to take it off. Because <laughs> once you are. put them on, there's no going back. So, yeah. Jai, as well as being a poet, you're also a publisher, and you published the, the anthology for um, that we've been talking about recently, Gatherings by the Lighthouse. Uh, how... Um, and you also publish your own children's books. So yeah, you so that's how it came about. I started mm -hmm. publishing my own stuff, and then because we were making an anthology and I was uh, not tricked but put on the committee somehow, So and, then, and no one else had had publishing experience, so uh, it, it they, was left a fait out, they left that in my capable hands. So, <laughs> so yeah. there we are, and then, and then it's out now. So Gatherings by the Lighthouse. Yeah. And you can get it several places on the peninsula. The Eagle up at the Arthur Seat has it. Book Barn in Rosebud, Style Pirate in Dramana, Farrells in Mornington. Oh, that's great. And there'll be more to come. Yeah, that, that's really wonderful. And I thought for some of our listeners too that, that we've just been talking about your poem a day. That goes out on the Facebook page for Poets' Corner, doesn't it? 
Well, I usually show it to Poets Corner, yes. Is that yeah. Unless it's too rude, which can happen. Okay. Okay. So, so where would it come out otherwise? Where uh, just would on my, my regular Facebook page. Ah, uh, just well. Jai Thulin. Yeah. And, and am I right in saying Thulin or is it Tulin? Correct. No. Thulin. Well, it's Tolan if you're in Holland, but Thulin's uh, good. Dutch. Dutch. Yes, we were wondering. We thought you it was Scandinavian. Be assured you can be as rude as you want here. Because you can say anything on radio as long as nobody complains. That's the actual law. Is Excellent. it? Yeah. Okay, then. Okay. So well, and if I'll, they do complain, given that no we'll one just listens. say sorry. Yeah. Given that no one listens, we're sorry. <laughs> okay. Now, I asked you in because I'd really love to hear, for some of our listeners to hear some of your poetry. Do you mind uh, reciting a couple of your poems? I can give you a little taste, yeah. Okay, that'd be great. This one's probably topical in a little community like the Mornington Peninsula. It's called The Secret. It was day 29 of my 365-day challenge. And it goes like this. Margaret knew a secret, and she was told to tell no one. But everybody knows that keeping secrets isn't fun. Too much responsibility, and if you really cared, you'd know with whom a secret could be confidently shared. So... Margaret told Aunt Edith, and Edith said she wouldn't tell, but Edith told the hairdresser and Sister Peg as well. Sister Peg told Father Bill, because he can hold his tongue, and Father Bill told Little Luke, because he is only young. Little Luke told his mum Sue, and she mentioned it to Fred, and Fred told Mayor Matthews, because it needed to be said. Mayor Matthews did rather well and kept it for a while, but then he told Sad Sally, which he knew would make her smile. Sad Sally told her therapist, who's supposed to shut his mouth. Though he kind of told his wife, and things started going south. His wife told all the netball team, and Barbara from the store, and Barbara told her husband Jim, who'd heard it all before. Still, he told his local darts club and his mates on Friday night, and they all told their partners, because surely that's all right. Someone told Miss Archer, and she's the gossip of our town. Soon everyone would know, because she'll spread it up and down. On Saturday, the boys discussed it right after the game. On Sunday at the book club, they were talking of the same. All that week, while well, he told him and she told her and his, and if anybody knows it, please tell me what it is. <laughs> that was going to be my question. What the hell? He was the only one. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's great. Yes, that's exactly what it travels like. And it's a life. description of what a secret, in fact, is. A secret is something you tell someone and then tell them it's a secret. Yeah. Well, it doesn't yeah. exist until you and tell someone. And then as soon as you've told someone, it's no longer a secret anyway. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, something like that. It's an intangible thing. Alrighty, another one. Come do on, you get, mind? Bombus, Jai, Bombus. Mm. It's called poetry bombing, isn't it? Sort of. It depends. Okay. We'll have a little bomb here. Okay. Yeah. Bombus. I can do this one. There we go. A spoof mannerisms. Sometimes I say things fact to brunt, or mixed up the ear and hair. I think that I say the wings I thunt, but need to take more care. Oh, that's horrible. Need to take more care. Then reading gets dyke difficult and twists my nung in tots. But when you're a ghoul phone adult, you've got to join the jots. So I just try and keep going, and I do my very, very best, because the winds of Blange are showing, and I'll check this off my guest. These words do piss on therpus, they're out to deck my ray, bring my serves to the nerfus, and they make me lose my lay. If I slow clown and concentrate, I can renounce each prude, but mostly every sting I thate is the hearst you've ever word. We all know practice makes perfect. Hey, I said that line quite well. No, back to my ditch spefect. Fit, shuck, no hocking fell. 
So you you got away with it. Yeah, that's really, really that's good. One, uh, that one's harder to do than I, I probably should have chosen a different one. No, that was really great. That you should have got me to try and read it. Yeah. I should have got you to try to read Witch's Watch. <laughs> that's uh, that's my favourite tongue twister. I haven't brought it with me, but Witch's Watch. Witch's Watch, yeah, that's good. Have a look at that one. I forgot to practice mine today. Did you? Yeah. Have you got no. one more in your bank? One more. A building site. The Bricky's Buddy Scaffold is in everybody's way. There's mud all over everything. He's messing up our day. The plumber's dug up half the site where we're all trying to work. The Sparky thinks he owns the joint, the spoiled bloody jerk. The Tyler's put his offcuts in the timber-only bin. The grout's not even dry. They're trying to put the shower in. The architect's a dickhead. I think everyone's agreed. He's drawn impossibilities. A clue is what he needs. The builder's bloody hopeless. He's hardly even there. He drops in all too seldom. He mostly doesn't care. The plasterers have made a mess. One's in the portaloo. The rest are having smoko. It's all they bloody do. The chippy lost his pencil, so he was marking things in pen. So the painter had to paint it all. Again. And again. And again. All the little stuff-ups too, the painter has to fix. Eighteen tubes of no more skills and other painter's tricks. And when the job is finished, all the trades pretend they're friends. Because the next job comes around, and they'll do it all again. <coughs> How many times have we? That's all right. Gone I know how he feels. <laughs> I used to paint. Even if you're not a trader, you know what? You know the story. I used to paint on, on film sets, and the carpenters always said the painter will fix it. The painter will fix it. Yeah. Right? Yes, true. Jai, that was really wonderful. Thank you so very much. Cheers, now, that, this is all a little bit of a taster for our listeners out there, some of many of whom is my guest who would be interested in poetry. It sounds as if uh, there's a really growing uh, group down here of uh, literary folk, and it's a very, uh, having been to one of them at least, the Poets' Corner, it's a very um, uh, welcoming scene. You can come if you're a poet or if you're a listener. Yep, well, how would you? What, what would you say to people, Jai? Would you recommend? Oh, get up there and do it. Everyone, everyone loves it. Once yeah. you get, once you're into it, you love it. It's good. We'll put links on our Facebook page as to how everybody can get hold of his, these books and hear a little bit more about Jai. Maybe see his daily poetry, and uh, Poets Corner. Thanks so much for coming in today, Jai. Thanks for having me. One of the world's leading architectural glass artists, David Wright, has an exhibition at Every Wen Gallery in Flinders that opened last weekend that doesn't include any glass in it at all, unless you count the glass over the frames. It is the first showing of a limited edition of hand-painted and monochrome liner cuts and paintings, the result of four decades of travel into some of the most remote regions of Australia, as well as the crystal desert of Antarctica, reflecting his concern and love for the fragile lives of the flora and fauna that inhabit it. Good morning, David. Welcome to Arts About. Thanks, Sally. Thank you very much for coming in today. David, it was pretty exciting to walk into the exhibition opening last weekend at Everywhere and find the place groaning and spilling out onto the pavement. There are obviously a lot of people there very keen to see this side of your work. I've had great support from my friends and my family. And, of course, um, Flinders is a wonderful, supportive community in yeah. that way as well. So people were coming from all over the place. <laughs> well, you have a long career, but it's, uh, but it's of uh, a different kind of work, generally speaking. Most people would probably consider you, uh, think of your work as, as architectural glass. What, is, what is architectural glass? Can you just well, basically, architectural glass is um, work that's usually commissioned for a, a building. 
So your constraints are often um, set for you in terms of the size of the work, um, the orientation of the work, and being glass, of course, the, the way the light um, comes through the work, and how much light it gets, what's outside. So there are all those kind of architectural constraints. And it's a commissioned work. So as an artist, it's quite different. Mm. You're, you're communicating with your client beforehand. Um, you have a budget to work to. Um, and there's sometimes, in various degrees of um, complexity, there's a theme that's set. Uh, and, of course, a lot of the work is for that I do is for buildings like synagogues, for schools, chapels, um, for um, hospitals. Mm -hmm. Public places. Pub public places. Mm -hmm. so, that so do you work in stained glass or slumped glass or both of those? Or well, stained glass is kind of a generic term. Yeah, um, coloured bits of glass. Coloured yeah. bits of glass, but yeah. mostly the work I do is um, uh, I'm particularly renowned for, for fusing glass together or texturing it, and right. and um, so it's technically not stained glass. But it, so does that involve a kiln? If you it does involve a kiln and and working working the material hot in the kiln right. uh, to to give it texture and break up the light as it comes through the glass too. So that's a very hands-on process. It, it's a very hands-on, quite a technical process yeah. once you've done it. And you're sort your, of dealing with the cosmos in there, in the kiln, with the poking glass around and stuff, a bit like a welder's flame, you know, you're sort of getting down to the nitty-gritty of what goes on in mathematics, really. Yes, although it's different than a glass blower, right. um, and I think we have different temperaments often in that they, <laughs> they work the material, they work it right. hot, um, okay. uh, whereas we set it up in the kiln and then we close the door of the kiln. And then we come back the next morning and, with and see the crossed. result with, with all fingers crossed. Yes, yes and, uh, so, so bubbling along um, alongside this career, clearly from the look of what we sort of discover at uh, Everywhere, is a is a whole other aspect to your work, which is this beautiful, um, almost poetic view of the landscape and the country that we live in. I've been very lucky to be able to travel all over Australia. We had a what we call our snail house, which is a uh, a camper that goes on the back of the ute and you have that extraordinary feeling where you drive out your driveway oh, and you can just so great. decide where you go depending yeah. on the weather and what you feel like. So we've been all through Australia and um, camped and stayed in the most beautiful places and you get this wonderful, very, very beautiful land that is revealed to you where you, you sit and wait um, for things to happen you get somewhere and it seems, at first it might seem fairly uninhabited, fairly barren, not much happening. But you have that wonderful experience of sitting and waiting and, and this life emerges from the landscape. And I find that really exciting and really interesting. Mm. And then as an artist, you have, people ask me, well, you know, what is your, what is the making of art? And um, it's somewhere between a disease and a, Compulsion, I think. You just have this compulsion to to take away these beautiful colours and textures and and this this magical life form that that emerges. Mm -hmm. So I've had all these sketchbooks with me that I've collected over the years, and a lot of the work does feed into my glasswork in various ways, particularly when I'm in in ways when I'm doing something like a a work in a building that requires a spiritual element so in a, in the synagogue or 
or a chapel for a school. Um, the sense in the outback of that that wonderful spiritual component where you start to exist in a, a different time frame, um, something which the, is, the indigenous people have as part of themselves. But I think as we non-indigenous people, we're very lucky that we sometimes just get a glimpse of what it's like to exist in this this extraordinary um, space of time um, and and these these very very beautiful very often very quiet spaces and you see the landscape revealed with its its bones and its its incredible age shows through and time involved of course in the uh, making of the lino cuts and uh, are there wood blocks as well and stuff that everyone? they're just lino cuts yeah um, but there, you can see the passage of time in the results there as well because a lino take cut obviously takes more time to uh, it, manufacture than a photograph for instance or a photograph of a drawing it does John and it, it's but it's interesting to me because um, compared to a glasswork because some of my commissions actually take two years to make okay mm. and the older I get that becomes a larger pr yeah. proportion of the rest of my life. Um, so uh, the making of the lino cuts to me is actually a very quick process, even yeah. if it sort of takes me a month to produce a work. That's very quick for me. The lino cuts are very good, and uh, what I like about lino cuts is that little sort of escape moment that the blade will make out of a lino cut and leaves that little kind of very sharp end to the line. Yes, and, yes. And uh, I think it's a particularly sort of lino cutish kind of look and it's one that I like. Uh, what I don't like is um, currently there are people making very large lino cuts where they use a computer driven uh, router to cut the lino and it doesn't have that, it doesn't have that. You're not doing that are you? John? No, no I'm not. not. Well, doing my children will tell you my computer literacy is somewhat lacking. <laughs> um, but, but they're very beautiful what you're doing I think. They're sort of, uh, thank you John. Um, it's interesting to me because working with glass, it's, I mean, I love the material. It's the most beautiful material. Um, but it is glass. It's, it's hard, brittle. If yeah. you make a mistake and it breaks, it's broken. That's it. Um, it's, it's, um, a very exacting and slow material to work. But, um, with the lino cuts, to me, it's very sinuous mm -hmm. when you're actually making the cut in the lino. Um, I find that a very soft process, very right. um, and gliding and sinuous way to, to work your material. Lino is so beautiful as well, isn't it's, it? It's it hard is. not it's to really see um, uh, a link with this. You mentioned it really before with the um, indigenous sense of the world. You know, the, this this quiet uh, observance and this interconnectedness, and uh, and um, that is really apparent in your work. And and I found it very interesting that quite a few of the images you had, some were coloured and some were just monochromatic, and and that idea of the creatures emerging and almost being a part of the shapes that they were that they were in in the landscape and they became much more obviously separate as soon as you laid color on them but when they were black and white they almost disappeared and and were part of the of the images around them i think that's part of that waiting and waiting and waiting and then things happen and suddenly you realise something's happening before you. We went to um, a place called Googs Lake, which is between Tarkula and Seduna, and we 
arrived at this beautiful salt lake. It was beautiful silver mm. surface and everything was very quiet and nothing moving. And you f my first response was, there's nothing here, nothing happening. But there had been a flood some weeks before and it had drowned all the insects and it had washed them out in these long tendrils out onto the salt lake and then they'd been preserved in the salt. So you walked along these tendrils. You could walk for hundreds and hundreds of metres and these thin lines of preserved insects. I mean, there were um, 100 millimetre long scorpions and centipedes mm. and beetles and grasshoppers and you suddenly realised how much life was back where you weren't seeing it, and uh, that kind—that—that's to me that sort of sense of things that happen to you when you're out there, that um, are miraculous and wonderful and exciting. It sounds like a rare event too. Is that sort of a, a result of a rare weather event or something? I don't know, it? John. I, I, yeah. Probably um, happens all the time. <laughs> probably. Well, does I think I think it, there yeah. are rhythms to it. I don't think it's annual, but I think it's uh, it's probably sees you know, uh, every few years you do get flooding out there that's for sure you could probably um, package them salted crickets yeah <laughs> i didn't try to eat any now you david you're going to be doing a talk uh, about your work down at everywhere gallery on is it the, the, the 23rd of, of uh, june yeah. at, yes and yeah. at the exhibition opening susan was very keen to mention that if you are interested to come along and hear a little bit more about david's work because we're going, we're running out of time unfortunately um that you should go along to this exhibition but you should probably call or contact them because given the amount of people that turned up at the opening i think that there's, <laughs> it's going to be standing room only and if you want to have some standing room you had to book it and you can see some of David's work, I imagine, on his website at davidwrightstudio.com. Yes, although the, the work on there is mostly your glasswork, it's isn't it? It's my glasswork, yes. yes. I'd like to look at some of that. Yes. If you go on to uh, um, McCulloch and McCulloch's website, uh, there is a link to Everywhen Gallery and there is a link to the catalogue, which will show you some of this beautiful work that's there. I'm sorry, we're running out of time. I wanted to talk about the, the ships in Antarctica and the allegories that were attached to that. But have We, we can run? have him back. I think <laughs> we better go. Thank you so much for coming in today. It's been wonderful talking to you too. Thanks, Sally. David Wright. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Danny Lacey is the senior MPRG curator and he's on the line with us today to discuss the exhibition Craftism, Dissident Objects and Submersive Forms that's on at the gallery until July the 21st, showing work from 17 contemporary Australian artists who utilise craft to political intent. Thanks for joining us today, Danny Lacey. You're welcome. Nice to be here. Oh, that's great. It's always great to have you in. Uh, I haven't seen the exhibition yet, although I know that Mark and John both have and have really enjoyed it. It's a Shepherd and Art Museum touring exhibition, isn't it? It is. It's been developed by uh, Rebecca Coates, who's the director up at SAM, and their senior curator, Anna Breers. And uh, they curated the exhibition. It's being toured by Net Victoria, the National Exhibition Touring Scheme, which do a great job in picking up uh, exhibitions from regional galleries, touring them across Australia, which is really, really great, actually, that they offer that service for galleries like the MPRG to then host these beautiful visits and shows. 
Well, it's a fascinating juxtaposition, isn't it? Because activism is not traditionally a forum that you'd expect to see craft-based practised, and yet the artists in this exhibition subvert and um, these mediums to become really political exercises. Um, but at the same time, they're expanding our views about the boundaries of artistic practice, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, it's probably to do with the diversification of um, the way arts work. And I guess um, over the last couple of decades, a real um, rebirth in craft and, and contemporary artists using craft uh, in their practices, which is really quite interesting. And what Rebecca have tried to pick up, I guess, is this, growing movement, which is sort of international, um, where artists are, are using um, craft-based techniques and materials in their work, quite often with a, a political um, underlining. Yeah, we, we actually talked a couple of weeks ago with Virginia Dowser, who is um, uh, a fashion stylist and academic, and she's about to do a talk at McClellan Galleries uh, about the reinvention of sculpture, which is this idea, similarly, that it's, you know... The breaking the boundaries of what traditionally has been, what, what mediums have been tr traditionally ascribed to art. Mm -hmm. So this is yeah. this is obviously part of that similar zeitgeist. Um, uh, we because we tend to think of uh, craft pursuits as nostalgic, but you know uh, these are not nostalgic subjects that these artists are talking about, are they? No, definitely not. And I guess there is um, there is a link to that historical craft movement um, and a lot of the artists talk about um, watching their mother or father or grandparent um, undertaking some sort of form of craft and how that was I guess um, maybe an initial way that they were exposed to um, sort of art and craft so there's an interesting sort of underpinning behind that um, one of the quite fascinating things about the show um, I think is the title in a way this sort of idea of craftivism and the title itself was actually created by a British sociologist called Betsy Greer um, about 15 years ago. And what she was seeing was this trend for, I guess everyone has seen, like yarn bombing and that sort of guerrilla knitting where groups of people come together and they knit and then they put the knitting over different trees or in public spaces. And um, what Betsy was seeing was this sort of global movement of um, community coming together and using that form of um, craft as a way of, I guess, reclaiming some of their um, ideas and space in a public realm. Mm. So, yeah, it's quite interesting, that idea of bringing craft and activism together. Perhaps the result, uh, Danny, is a kind of softening of the border between craft and uh, art and uh, also between fashion and art, which is not a bad thing to be happening, but also in the other half of the gallery there, you've got a softening of the border between science and art with... Um, yeah the other show, which is terrific, you know, with the lots of spinning cables and discs and bits of crystal moving around and throwing light around the walls. And uh, yeah, I love that part so of the show. Is anything right. broken down yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually been uh, been quite good. So that's Ross Manning's show, Dissonant Rhythms, which is touring from the Institute of Modern Art up in Brisbane. And that, um, again, that show is on a big two-year tour where the first non-Queensland venue uh, to take that show and um, amazing what the show is actually it's really well constructed and put together so we haven't had any breakdowns but you're right it's um, uh, Ross actually used to be a, a projector technician in a previous life so he was using um, these sort of 
materials which were becoming quite outdated, like overhead projectors and old projectors that were breaking down. And he was using the raw material, so the lenses from within those um, projectors to then create these sound and light sculptures. Um, they're quite amazing, actually. The actual lenses themselves that Ross uses, um, it's basically the raw materials inside large-scale projectors. Um, these amazing triangular lenses uh, that have a, a slight colouring of silver put over them. And when they're uh, put on different angles with light shining through them, they allow different colours to come through. So it's quite creates quite a, um atmospheric feeling within that, that other part of the gallery. Everybody loves a prism. Everybody loves those beautiful thick lenses that come yeah. out of cameras and, yeah. and, uh, and projectors and so on. They're just gorgeous objects in themselves, aren't they? Yeah, they're amazing objects. It's very dark side of the moon when you first walk into the gallery. I must say, with the the um, yeah the kaleidoscopic colours of light shining around the room. But uh, yeah, there's another work called Bad Magic, which is uh, suspended from the ceiling, and it's uh, this little tiny little LED light that rotates around these two little cube lenses. And as the the light rotates around it throws colour throughout the whole gallery. It's quite, they're quite amazing little objects, those lenses. They're not only the results are beautiful, but I, the show itself is, like the, the equipment, if you like, is really quite lovely too. Uh, yeah. I like the kind of low-tech nature of it. Sometimes the mix of science and art leans a little too heavily towards science, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's the great thing with Ross, because he's had that really hands-on technical background of fixing these objects. Uh, he's pulled these projectors apart, he's put them back together, so he's able to use those materials very sensitively. So it's part and, of junk shop. Um, yeah, it's quite, quite beautifully put mm. together, actually. Mm. Uh, the other thing I've, uh, I wanted to mention was this wonderful crossing that you, that you are doing at the MPRG, which is to have such incredible information, video information available on your site about exhibitions and artists who are uh, exhibiting there. And, uh, of course, you've got a couple of your craftism artists, uh, Penny Byrne and Michelle Harmer, both very different, uh, who both do very different work, talking about the kind of craft that they do and, and what inspires them. It gives a very good uh, understanding, I think, of this movement that you're talking about. Yeah, and like it's it's really important that we're able to have that video content and even podcasts on our website where people can um, access that information, um, whether it's before they come into the gallery or after their visit, just to give them, I guess, a greater understanding, especially to hear directly from the artists themselves about mm. their creative processes and the work. Um, we've actually got uh, a video by Ross Manning in the gallery space where he talks about uh, his practice and creating those sculptures. I think that's on our website as well. But, yeah, it's really important, I think, from an education point of view um, to have that content these days. Well, thank you very much for coming on today to talk to us about it. Um, Craftism, Dissident Objects and Submersive Forms is on until the July the 21st. And is is the other exhibition, Ross Manning's exhibition, running for the same time span? Yeah, they both finish on the 21st of July, yeah. Great to talk to you today, Danny Lacey. Thanks very much. You're welcome. And now it's time for John on. Yes, that's right. I thought I'd sneak that one on you, John. Well, let's just go straight into it. Mm. 
Normally, I like to listen to a couple of ads and get myself, you know, sort of. Yeah, I know there, there was a song slotted, but um, I, oh, let's go ahead. I couldn't find it. Kelly, the super dog. Yeah. Wait a sec. Yep. Thank yep. you. Uh, she and I used to go regularly for um, a bit of a walk around the local neighbourhood. And you'll remember, Swan, I'm sure, at the time, that dogs. Uh, were very rarely um, constrained by a leash. In fact, dogs went where dogs wanted to go. Yeah, or as long as they had a license, they had to have a license to be a dog, and it had to be worn around their collar. Yeah, license to bark. Or uh, the local ranger would pick them up and uh, take them off to the pound with that long stick with the loop yeah. on it. Yeah, and you had a kind of a, a divvy wagon full of yeah dogs yeah and um, usually very full in those days my father was very amused by the result of that which was you'd have to go to the pound and if you wanted your dog back you had to give them a pound yes wow yeah. that's more than the dog was worth probably yeah. and a lot of people probably thought that way too mm. do you think kelly however was a licensed dog oh she had a license yes, to be a was. dog yeah. and she had a cape as well which yeah, we know that yeah and uh, I used to walk with her over to the corner milk bar, Coglin's Milk Bar, mm-hmm. and uh, which meant going down the street past. There was a very angry dog, a few houses down, uh, which Kelly and I would, and we'd he'd be snarling and barking behind the gate, and Kelly and I would walk past, both nonchalantly looking in the other direction and pretty well ignoring the anger. And then we'd cross the road and say hello to a little Pomeranian that was sadly jailed behind a gate. And it would sit there and look out through the bars as we went past. Kelly would give her a bit of a kiss on the nose on the way past. Oh. Yeah. And then over the road into the, you know, you'd say to Kelly, sit, and she'd sit down, heel, and she yeah. would walk right next to you right across the road. She's there. a good dog. Yeah, she was a good dog. Into the, uh, the schoolyard. And we crossed the schoolyard, avoiding the basketball courts. You know, giving absolutely her, giving yes. her a wide berth. Is that you'll have to catch that on a podcast? Kelly ended up in a basketball hoop. Oh yes, yeah. I've heard about that. Yes. <clears throat> well, through it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Did what? Did, was there any post-traumatic stress? Absolutely. For me, <laughs> you mean? No, for the dog. Oh, I'm not sure about the dog. Every time you went past a hoop. Well, we both avoided the basketball courts. I've been avoiding them all my life, frankly. But, uh, yeah, me too. We uh, crossed the road again on the other side of the school and there outside Coglin's Milk Bar where all the local dogs would hang around outside the milk bar, all the licensed dogs. Yeah. yeah. On their leads tied up? No. No. no they, just, they were just roaming. Right. Or, oh. or they would have been trailing a bunch of kids who were in the milk yeah, there bar. Was, yeah, there was often kids around mm. and, you know, people sort of looking or not, you know. But the reason they hung out around outside the milk bar, course, I think, is yeah. because every now and then a bit of sausage roll would spill out of someone's <laughs> hand. And, <laughs> or a bit so of jam donut. Yeah, something would happen. Mm. Um, one of the king of those dogs was a dog called Rex. Ooh. and he, had a, uh, he was a golden retriever or a Labrador. I think a Labrador. Who cares? And he had a... Um, he had a collar on with Rex written across it. Yeah, king dog. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we would always say hello to Rex. And I did that one morning and uh, there was a kid there who said, that's not Rex, his name's Goldie. Oh. And oh. I said, well, why has he got Rex written on his collar? And he said, well, Mum got the collar down the op shop and already had Rex written on it, you know. But 
His name's actually Goldie. <laughs> <laughs> but we kept calling him Rex anyway. He seemed yeah, to Rex like that. Yeah, Rex is much better. Hey. Okay. No. Mm. Oh, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah. So we're all there together, and you could say to Kelly, sit and go into the milk bar, come out, and she would still be sitting, not necessarily in the same place. But she could, she knew to sit as soon as the door opened. Yeah. 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 And to stare at whatever you had in your hand. So I came, I came out of the milk bar this day. Kelly was sitting and waiting for me, and around the st- corner, down the street, was coming a dog I'd never seen before. And it had a kind of a, like, a mischief, a bad dog. Like the scene oh, in To Kill like a, a Bad Dog. Like To Kill a Mockingbird. And it came trotting down the road, and it could, it had figured out the scene, you know, there's yep. stuff to be had here. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it walked into the mass of dogs just as someone walked out and threw Rex a uh, half the end of a sausage roll. <gasps> Goldie. landed on the footpath, and this dog went for it. And I've never seen a Labrador get to its feet so quickly and defend a bit of food. It was incredible. It was, and the fight was on. Oh. They were standing up on their hind legs going at each other. What sort of dog was the new boy? Kind of a, a mutt. white and black wolf-like thing. Ah. Oh, the rare Scandinavian Wolfmeister <laughs> hound. Yeah. Yeah. They're very trendy at the moment. I'm sure they yeah, are. People yeah. breed them. Kelly. Yeah. Yes. While this was going on, I noticed nicked off to the left and around the back and ate the bit of sausage roll. Good yeah. girl. And then came back and sat next to me and looked off into the distance nonchalantly as she was prone to do, you know, licking your lips twice. There's all... And then we went home. There's always an opportunist, mm. a bit like me. That's a fabulous story. It is a fabulous story. I it, was actually going to interrupt oh, him sorry. stop me. Oh, I no. thought you were sh- shutting him down. No, I wasn't. No. Um, because I wanted to know... I, in the older days when we were kids and dogs were running around like that, they didn't seem yeah. to be scary dogs, did they? But then again, you've come but, well, in with a scary uh, dog. Well, Every now and again, there was always that dog. Was there? Yeah. And I got bitten by one once just walking past its house. But generally, they just lope along behind a bunch of kids and mind their own business. And they didn't have anything to be angry about. And yeah. dogs yeah. that were angry were often locked up by their owners who were or, aware of the fact that well, they were a risk. Yeah, or wisely destroyed. Whatever yeah, happened yeah. to that good old solution? Destroy the dog. They, don't, they were never destroyed. They went off to live on a farm. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, sometimes coppers would destroy them, wouldn't they? Another fabulous story, John. Oh, it's it, it's probably hark time. I thought we would squeeze in one quiz question. Oh, but go on, let's do it's it. hark time, isn't it? Is it? Oh, probably. Uh, Can we do one? All right. Let's just do one. Stand by. <laughs> I'm having a little trouble here. This is a good one. Oh, it's a visual Who one. made this painting? <laughs> okay. It's a bunch of uh, Spartans fighting. Spartans oh, I can't see fighting. it from here. Is okay. it Joshua Reynolds? Is it Alexander Roslin? Is it Pierre Sabreur or Jacques-Louis Davy? Davy? Can I, have a, can I come you, over and have a look? John, no. I don't recognise it at all. Look, just, can't you accept my description like every no. other listener? No. It's a bunch of Spartans. Do you recognise that artist, John? Looks a bit David to me. Yeah, yeah. David, he did, didn't he do the fabulously um, yeah. raunchy one yeah. of Napoleon on the horse, David? No, that was Delacroix. But, no, um, I think you'll find there was a David. In fact, I saw it at the Louvre. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because David... I'm saying David. Yeah, all right. It's You don't pronounce the D, you ignoramuses. Here we go. Correct. Correct. 
Yes, Sally, he did make a painting of Napoleon, as did Jericho and as did um, Delacroix. They all painted. I suppose they all had commissions, yeah. Hark! Hark! Time for the news. Uh, Coming up, David Wright's wonderful exhibition of prints and paintings is on at the Everywhere Gallery in Flinders until July the 2nd, but there's also an artist talk on there on the Sunday, the 23rd of June. So go to McCulloch and McCulloch website to book for that because you might need to let them know you're coming. That's right. He's a popular man. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want me to say one? I do, indeed, yes. Given that I haven't got a sheet in front of me because I just haven't got it out of my bag. I don't know why I bother. (laughs) <laughs> uh, craftism, dissident objects and subversive forms We were just speaking to the chap before Danny Lacey Danny Lacey And that's on until July 21 That's right Pickled Poetry have published an anthology of some of the work from poets Who have performed at Poets Corner in Macrae You can get your copy from uh, The Book Barn Rosebud Bookborn, Style Pirate, Arthur's Seat Eagle, uh, Farrell's by yes. the sound of things. And uh, and I recommend that you probably all go along to, oh, if you're interested in poetry, uh, to Jai Thulin's, uh yeah. Facebook page and Pickle, find out. Pickled Poetry is the sound guy's uh, greatest nightmare because it pops. Pickled yeah, Poetry, pops. of course mm. it does. The Ears microphone pops. pops. A Boyer Full of Paintings by John Baird. Let's not forget oh, that. Oh, quick. Let's James go. Macon. Yes, yeah. when... Uh, from the 21st onwards. <gasps> Can we do an arts about? Let's go up there, Swanee. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, like to keep my, I like to keep my record perfect of never attending a, an opening in the oh, last 20 years. Me. All right, well, we'll be there. John, um, we'll uh, be there, John. Where is James Macon Gallery, John? Mm. Uh, Cambridge Street, Collingwood. Oh. Yes, okay. So just good. think... One of those fancy universities. It's not a show of my paintings, but they have got the foyer filled with them. What? Well, because they've just taken me on as an artist. I've oh. moved to move galleries, and uh, they want to let everyone know that they're going to start representing me by putting paintings in the foyer. So this is a, called a teaser. Yep. Yeah, nice work. That's great. And do you have an exhibition scheduled with them yet? Pardon? Do you have an <laughs> exhibition mm-hmm. scheduled with them yet? Uh, no, that'll be next year sometime. Yeah, okay. After the teas has sort of got yeah, its hook in. Yeah, all right then. Well, that's great. Well, we need some pictures from there, definitely. <coughs> Absolutely. Um, <coughs> the Baluk series of three exhibitions mm-hmm. is on at Linda New Arts in Ackland Street, St Kilda, until yeah. the 23rd of June. We spoke with Lisa White last week about uh, that. I enjoyed that chat. Yeah, Lisa, I listened to the show that I yeah. wasn't a part of last week. Oh, did you? Yes. Sounded like a real radio show. I know. It's very slick. Yeah, I think mm. you're not in it. So you get a different view, don't you? Mm. If you've just tuned in, you're, you've missed Arts About, but you can hear the repeat on Wednesdays at 12. Arts About's available on air, streaming from the station website or the RWP phone app, and we also podcast the show too, and you can find that by, by checking out on our Facebook page. We'll put links to many of these events on, our, on that Facebook page, so have a look at that and like us. And remember, we'll be on again same time next week, 11 a.m. Sunday, and remember, everybody, we may not know everything about art. Well, we know some of the quiz answers, though. And we know what we like. And a lot of popping in that last bit there, Sally. Pop, 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 pop. I know pop, I fumbled pop. that a bit. Sorry about that. No, you did well. Pop. I like it. See you all next week. See you later. Thanks, Sally.